Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the MSP Initiative Live. Uh, just some quick housekeeping because we are in a new week and in a new Channel Strong tour for anyone that doesn't know that. Uh, so just getting some housekeeping out of the way for anyone that doesn't know. Channel Strong, Channel Strong tour is coming through the Northeast. We're on day two, so there's still a lot of uh, miles ahead. But if you're anywhere in these areas or willing to take a trip, uh, we'd love to see you. Um, no sales, no pressure, just networking with MSPs in your area, uh, maybe a beer, maybe a sandwich, uh, and, you know, the rest is up to you. So uh, if you happen to, you know, want to join us, go to mspinitiative.com slash channel strong or channel dash strong, just click on the menu, scroll down, request an invite at the bottom, and we will send you uh, to the right place. Lastly, for anyone that's not familiar, we do just a monthly MSP giveaway. It's kind of our appreciation to you. All you got to do is throw your name in the hat to win 10 prizes, 10 vendors. Got it. Can't, can't win if you don't play, right? So buy your lottery ticket kind of thing. Throw your name in the hat. No purchase necessary. Just maybe you just win a prize. So uh, quick, quick notes. We're out of the way. Uh, today, I am bringing on uh, Mr. Jay McBain. Uh, Jay's been in the industry for a long time, but I'm going to let him Tell us about his history a little bit, uh, you know, kind of growing through uh, his journey through the industry. But he is currently with Forrester. Uh, so if anybody you know who doesn't understand who Forrester is, is you know basically they're like an industry um, kind of consultant type organization, right? And kind of shows what's happening, where, where are things growing, where are things dying, what's changing, uh, and you know, kind of Jay's role. I'm, I'm not going to steal his thunder. Is to help companies understand the managed services space. Um, and IT services and all the technology realms that kind of surround that you can see behind him. There's all these kind of ecosystem type circles, but uh, I'll let him explain who he is and what he does. And we'll, uh, we'll see where we go. All right. Good stuff. So <clears throat> thank you so much for having me. And I spent uh, 27 years of my career so far, but I started as a technician. I got a job in IBM's help desk, helping people, you know, get their NHL hockey 1994 running on a brand new Aptiva or PS1 that they just spent $4,000 acquiring and a $50 game that didn't work. So that was the start of my career. Got to the point where I was running channels for IBM and then ran channels for Lenovo across the Americas. I left uh, Lenovo, joined Autotask, ended up leaving Autotask uh, with the founder, Bob Gottgart, and we started a new company called Channelize, raised a bunch of money, went through the entire entrepreneurial phase that MSPs go through as they build their businesses and had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, that business was sold. And for four years, I worked for Forrester, which is an analyst and research firm that counts a lot of things. And as we go through today, I'll probably drop a lot of numbers. And, uh, you know, we track things a little bit differently, trying to make sense of all the chaos we live in every day. 100%. So, Let's kind of zoom back for a second. Uh, you know, Jay, you put a lot of good information out uh, over the last, I would even say, 24 months. Uh, but that was pre-pandemic, through it, now we're here. And you had some pretty clear messaging, at least from what I took from it, about the future of distribution, the future of technology service providers, the future of shadow IT and marketplace you know, buying and you know, kind of the whole you know, traditional VAR you know, reseller-based model, at least from what I gather from your writing, you feel like that's on the decline. Um, do you still feel that way? 
uh, given like, you know, the last, I don't know, two years, right? 18 months. Do you still feel that way? Or do you feel like that's maybe slowed down a little bit? Yeah. So a couple of things to that answer. One is I consume an insane amount of information and I actually get paid to do that, which is interesting. So every day I open up, you know, 54 different magazines and, and see what they're reporting. I open up 143 social groups and Slack and Clubhouse and Reddit and Discord and see what's going on. And obviously I subscribe uh, to this. I, I went to your uh, Channel Strong tour in Fort Lauderdale when you dropped by Florida. So I'm, I try to keep my ears to the ground as much as I can in terms of what the chatter is. Try to get through the noise and clutter of marketing and, and find out what's happening uh, on the street. And then second to that, you know, because I follow all these groups and listen to all these podcasts and stuff, I just make those lists public. Um, so I share them. You know, here are the 100 podcasts that people listen to. Rather than me keeping it on a spreadsheet, I can easily convert that to HTML and help other people with maybe shows on security and other things that they might not uh, be attached to at this point. The second thing is, you know, I get to, you know, get access to over a thousand researchers at Forrester. We survey 690,000 of your customers every year. It's the biggest survey of its type in the world, asking them, you know, what they think about this stage of the pandemic, where they're investing money, and we know that automation and cloud acceleration, this new future of work, we, we know that people are moving to e-commerce and marketplaces. So at the high level, we kind of see where the opportunities are there. And I, need, and, and I can connect the dots to where that opportunity is, trillions of dollars, to what a, a managed service provider can do in their local town, city, region, and, and, and really drive success. So that's kind of my angle of the world. And every year I put out predictions. So every year I make 10 predictions. And last year I didn't predict the pandemic. I did not predict social unrest. I didn't even predict murder hornets. So take it for what it is, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But there was 10 predictions that not only, you know, became true, but many of them accelerated because of the pandemic. We were starting to see, you know, little things happen in like subscription and consumption models start to become top of mind of the 10,000 vendors out there. Well, midway through the pandemic, Cisco, Dell, HPE, IBM, and a whole list of others, Nutanix, all went in, all in on subscription. 100% of their companies are shifting to this new model. So what does that mean for managed service providers? And you know, there's nine other predictions as well that we can kind of walk through today and kind of test where we are at this stage of the pandemic and what it looks like for the next three to five years for this community. I definitely want to do that. Let's, let's get a couple other current events in, and then we're going to shift back to that. Uh, so number one, love that you follow the podcast, the Facebook groups, the LinkedIn groups, the communities. I mean, there's a lot of them and the internet has definitely facilitated that missing link, right? That missing connection that we couldn't do in person. Um, it, it seems to me like we're all getting a lot better about being in front and doing marketing, right? I think that was the major knock on the, you know, our little sandbox for quite some time that the guy who starts an IT services company is not really, you know, kind of want to be out front, but I feel like maybe we've turned that corner with all of the groups that you follow. Are you seeing the content continuing to come out like that from, from MSP land? Yeah. And there's a stark change as we went through this digital 18 months, 
you know, there was no face-to-face events until you started them up. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> this idea that how to work with customers, how to work with partners in a purely digital format was different. And the companies that didn't really get it, you know, were exposed during this time. The companies that did get it, you know, were able to hit a home run. And it was the connective tissue between face-to-face events and keeping the conversation going. 100%. I think that there's definitely something to be said for keeping that, you know, that pedal down. I know everybody's had, you know, this web fatigue, Zoom fatigue, Teams fatigue. But I mean, listen, the content, you know, now that everybody's kind of got their normal noise level back, it doesn't mean that your content shouldn't continue. If anything, you may need to double down a little bit just to keep, you know, keep touch with your, your people out there who, you know, everyone like us, right. That, that do these types of uh, podcasts and webinars and stuff. Um, hard not to look, you know, just again, back on current events, hard not to look at all of the security stuff. That's now not just, Hey, what products do you have on your machine? It's, it's actually taking businesses offline. Um, it seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, there's seen, you know, like I think a lesson's been learned now, at least, hey, if you haven't looked at your stuff, start looking, Mm. right? Start trying to clean up your house. But it's kind of hard to tell the everyday IT services company, managed services company, hey, by the way, every vendor that you use could be your problem. (laughs) I mean, how how do you begin to deal with that from your perspective? Well, first of all, it's reached the highest levels of society. Uh, And I never thought that, you know, a president of the United States would be having press briefings and talking about SolarWinds and Kaseya and other, you know, companies within our industry, our sub-industry. So, you know, my kids don't know who those companies are. Uh, When, you know, today they talked about China and the Microsoft hacks, Mm -hmm. you know, it reaches every level of, of industry. And the amount of bills that are in front of US Congress, you look at the European Union, you look in Asia Pacific, I look at the 197 countries, and it's finally elevated to the point at a presidential prime minister level of getting attention. This is a, you know, a, a threat, a national security threat, if pipelines and clean water and clean air become involved. And obviously this isn't just a, you know, the malware um, spamming, you know, kind of phishing of the past to try to get your credit card number. Mm-hmm. Most people already know what your credit card number is. The fact of the matter is now it elevates and companies could, you know, be threatened. And I think it's finally getting, and it's right now in our spending grid, it's the number three largest opportunity. And it's the third largest challenge that companies are facing, given this new remote topology as well. hundred percent. You know, now that 20 to 30% of your people are remote and are going to be remote forever. Work is something you do, not where you go. Mm-hmm. And in that environment, you've got this new surface threat that involves, you know, smart homes and dozens of devices per person that are sitting out there on, you know, insecure home networks, going through an insecure home PC, consumer PC, through a consumer router, and going to connect to your street that you share with your neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so the surface threats here, and there's seven layers of security, but it's just at a point now where no company can do it alone. And nobody, no company can build, and I don't care if you're the Bank of America or you're the federal government, no company can build a SOC 
to that level. And they need the help of the community. And this is where managed service providers, managed security solution providers, you're seeing all kinds of different players step in and find double digit growth driving this new future of work. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, do you, since you brought it up, well, I'm just going to touch base on it real quick. Next year around this time, and maybe, maybe it will take longer than this, but if you were to put a bet on it, do you feel some sort of legislation will be enacted at a government level that will force the managed services provider to do something that they're not already doing or haven't been, you know, in, you know, forced to do by somebody else, right? Compliance or insurance or something like that. Yeah, the one thing I learned joining IBM, you know, kind of in the you know, late 80s, early 90s, is this is the time that IBM was under antitrust and anti-combines in whatever country you're in. You know, it was the top growing company in the 70s and 80s and almost didn't make payroll in 1993. Wow. So this was, you know, kind of the start of that. And I learned back then as a, as a you know, kid coming out of college that whenever you're talking about legislation, you got to talk about decades, not years. Mm-hmm. And even if something, and there's, I think, 28 bills in front of Congress right now, uh, as they get worked through in the next year or two, even if they actually become law, a law isn't actually really there until it's tested. Mm-hmm. So the first person to break the law will then escalate it. And it may, you know, ramp itself up to the Supreme Court, you know, to find out or, or different federal courts. Um, so all of that is always measured in years. And progress legislatively, regulation, governance, becomes decade-long journeys. So next year, I don't think there will be anything on the books. You know, in two to three years, I think things like Louisiana and a few of those will start to hit state legislatures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first lawsuits against (laughs) against that legislation, the first MSP that gets sued, by the way, and fights back and says, listen, I'm a small business with eight technicians. Mm-hmm. And you're blaming this breach on me because I didn't report it. You know, you know, I reported it an hour too late or, you know, somehow with eight people, I'm protecting this pipeline. The first time that that gets escalated and goes through the court system, it's going to take years more to, you know, go, go through those processes. So we are in the decade of legislation here. Uh, I think even MSPs agree that there needs to be more governance there needs to be uh, a higher um, barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. You know, we know and we have competitors in our local town that, you know, literally over the weekend hung their, you know, hung up their shingle on LinkedIn and hung up their website using like Wix or something. I mean, these are people and they just took our words off our website and cut and paste them on their website. They took our pricing and just slashed it by 20, 30, 50%. Mm-hmm. And that's their business model. And they're trying to look credible. And I think we all agree that, you know, we've spent decades honing our craft and really, you know, driving outcomes for our customers. And unlike lawyers, doctors, accountants, and others, there is no barrier to entry to what we do. And anyone can steal words and music and look smart digitally and put their customers at risk. That's hundred percent true. I mean, to be, to be honest, uh, every year, right. I mean, this is not me saying this, this is the talking heads. I say now every year that bottom 20% of the space, the, the MSP IT service provider VAR, put whatever acronym you want, 
there's that churn and turnover, right? Where new guys pop up because they left internal IT and they started to start doing shop. Other guys say, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. They bail out. I mean, I've actually seen on a lot of the forums recently, people are like, I'm, I'm going to retire early. It's not, it's not worth it to me to do this anymore with all this stuff, ransomware and these networks being hijacked. Like people are like, oh yeah, I had a 10 year plan. Yeah, no, I'm out in two. Like I was like, wow, that's a major decision shift, right? Just on the current events. So um, there's no, there's no question that, um, that 20% is always in flux, but you know, there's all, all everybody, right. Start tracking this M and a stuff, right. That continues to happen. Is it happening at a rate where the small guy still can't compete anymore? Or does that really far off into the future? That's interesting. So if I go back pre pandemic, uh, Arlen Sorensen at, um, HDG peer groups, which you know became ConnectWise, um, did a survey and 70% of MSPs would sell their business if the price was right. Mm. And I know we're all entrepreneurs and if somebody bought us a yacht and, and an island somewhere that you know, we'd probably you know, make us an offer that we can't refuse. But it was interesting to see the number that high because technology is the fastest growing industry. It's doubling in terms of GDP over the next decade. And if I'm you know, a young person in this game, you know, I want to go make, you know, much more than that, add a zero or two. And I, I want to go make a really big company. So it was interesting to see 70. So we've been trying to test that through the pandemic as managed services started to shrink by that way at that point uh, to the point of only growing at single digits. And when I say single digits, it was like 9.6. So nothing to uh, shake your head at. It's still one of the fastest growing industries. Uh, and, you know, it's much better than other industries you might be in. But for 20 years, this industry grew by triple digits at the beginning, then double digits. And then it was just like a year and a half ago that it went down to single digits. Mm-hmm. But the pandemic drove this back into double digits again. Again, companies can't uh, manage a remote topology or a residential style network on their own. They need experts with the tools to do the remote management and to do these things at scale. And so managed services on the infrastructure side was huge. The security is even bigger because again, as I mentioned, the seven layers of security and now with all of these zero trust and new surface threats and and the threat vectors are multiplying almost by the day to the point where there's no organization with the capacity to actually protect itself it takes a village. And so managed services is back again, probably for the next two or three years, if not longer, growing at a strong double digit pace. But as you said, 25% of managed service providers, another ConnectWise acquisition, Paul Dipple, would say that 25% of managed service providers are not profitable. You know, the next 25% at times struggle to break even. So this isn't the kind of market, there's so much consolidation, there's so much price compression, You've obviously has, have private equity doing the roll-ups and you've got websites like Channel E2E that you know, report on four or five M&A activities per day. Mm-hmm. So th- this isn't an industry for the you know, faint at heart, but it is an industry that is growing by double digits and it's one that you can make a lot of money in. Where does the shadow IT complement really make or break things, right? Because... These, these kind of, you know, slightly larger companies or even mid-market, you know, I guess you could put terminology to sizing, but 
now all of a sudden these decision makers, these middle managers are just turning things on, right? Subscriptions are put a credit card number in, you press go, and you're on your way. IT didn't even find out about it till after the fact, right? So um, is there any way that an MSP could shift their model to take advantage of that subscription-based way? Like, I, I, it's kind of hard to sign up a customer site unseen and hope that you figured it out and are profitable from day zero, right? Yeah. So the first thing is we've declared shadow IT over. Oh. And, and by the way, if, if you're keeping score, shadow IT won. Oh. So today, if you look at the business application space, mm-hmm. if you look at where customers are spending new technology dollars, 65% of all technology decisions today are made outside of IT. Wow. Most CIOs, CTOs, CDOs, CISOs have now come to the conclusion that they're going to play more of a federal government role. Mm. So they have to play a defense role. They have to play an integration role. They have to kind of play the visionary strategic role. But in those 65% of cases, in 29% of those decisions, IT are blocked from being in the room. Wow. They're not even in the decision committee. So they're, you know, kind of notified after the fact, but we're in a world now, and I said the world's going subscription consumption. So if you're going to buy servers from Dell or HP or Lenovo, it's no longer a million dollars. It's $9,000 a month forever. And every department, every division in every company can afford $9,000 on their personal credit card, on their departmental credit card. So we're over that now. The fact that two thirds of the market goes this way, and we have companies now, actually a big number of companies, where the head of marketing spends more money on technology than the head of technology. Wow. So to an MSP that's covering that account and managing the infrastructure, managing the security, and doing all the things they do over here in the government space, the federal government space, the question is, this CMO is now buying HubSpot, Marketo, Eloqua, Pardot, you know, name, there's 8,000 logos on the MarTech stack. And they're spending a ton of money to bring in uh, seven layers of a stack to solve a very specific problem. Now, are MSPs in that conversation? And at Forrester, we're studying this and we're seeing the dollars that kick out of this. And at Salesforce, you know, every dollar kicks out $4.65 to the ecosystem. At HubSpot, it's $5.80. So what's happening? Every company in every industry is becoming a tech company. There are 200,000 digital agencies who recognized over the last decade of shadow IT that the head of marketing spends so much money, more than the CIO. So guess what? 78% of digital agencies are now tech services companies. Hmm. They recognize the CFO and COO So 81% of accountants, 300,000 accounting and CPA firms are now tech services companies. We're in a market where everyone is coming in. And so the next time you can go to a customer and look at the guest book, there's an 80% chance that everyone signing into the guest book is talking tech. Hmm. You as an MSP, you're not gonna go and barge into that room because on average, there's five people that wrap around that CMO or that CFO or that HR or the sales or whoever the, the, the shadow person is making that decision. What you've got to make sure is those people are in your own ecosystem. 
that you know who these people are in your location, that the accounting firm, the digital agency, the consultants, the system integrators, the different ISVs, there's 16, they're over my shoulder. There's 16 different kinds of partners that are all rushing in trying to add value, but they don't really compete with you in what you do well. And you're all trying to get a piece of that $5.80. And there's no one company that can do it all. You're not going to turn into a creative and concierge digital agency overnight, but they're not going to turn into you overnight. And so the idea to better serve that customer and HubSpot to get it to work with those seven other things, they need all of you in the room. Hmm. And you can all go to that customer and ask for a dollar for every dollar they spend with HubSpot to get it to work. But you're not going to do that without understanding who those five people are wrapped around that marketing buyer at your customer and all the line of business buyers without doing some work. Yeah. Photocopy in the guest book or better yet, going and figuring out what they read and where they go and the people they follow and making sure you're in that community in your region, that you're leading the charge, that you're the George of that community leading the podcast leading the social groups, leading the chamber of commerce, leading the conversations in local events and road shows, that you're doing the work necessary so you're highly visible for what you do in the part of the $5.80 that you deliver successfully. That's very intriguing because there's a handful. I mean, I talk to a lot of MSPs all day long. I mean, you talk to a lot of industry people all day long. There's not that many who have created a practice around the CRM, the ERP, the marketing automation. Uh, the, most people feel like that's not their realm, but this was a similar idea when the photocopier guy was different than the phone guy, was different than the IT guy, which is the, like the door access guy, the point of sale guy. And we talked about how all those guys just bumped into each other. That same thing's happening now upstairs, right? Like it's not about the plumbing anymore and the electricity, <coughs> the, the, the actual check signer and what they're deciding to do. So it's very intriguing that the same challenge that happened over 20 years has really just reinvented itself across different, different people and different solutions that are being offered. That's really intriguing. Yeah, if you don't think, that, if you don't think there's convergence happening you know, to that telco guy when yesterday Zoom buys 5.9. Yeah, and when last week Microsoft acquired all of AT&T's network. Mm-hmm. So these are happening every day and convergence is driving. And obviously there's one network that's driving all of this and everyone is coming in for their piece of that pie. And again, there's no single throat to choke. There is no trusted advisor in the next decade. Hmm. It is MSPs that play an important federal government role working with IT and working with security and all the things necessary at an infrastructure layer. But you got to remember that these shadow IT people from 10 years ago, they now spend 51% of their time every day on tech. Hmm. So their day job has become their night job. You're a CMO, you spend 49% of your time building campaigns and actually marketing and branding. And you spend 51% of your time getting all of the technology that you've acquired implemented and integrated and compliant and, you know, and, and all that automated. So serving that technology buyer now, who's you know, over half their time is different. And yes, an MSP can walk into the lines of business or you can influence the people that are already in the room. Hmm. You know, that agency, that local agency, it's one plus one equals three. That local accounting firm, you know, one plus one equals three. 
And you might be in the room somewhere where you can bring them in and vice versa. They're in the room and they can bring you in when it gets into the right parts of security and compliance and continuity. And, you know, all these things do come as part of that project. And the biggest competitor that MSPs have at a high level, surprisingly, is global system integrators. Hmm. So companies like Accenture and Deloitte and Capgemini and KPMG and all the way down the list, they're, you know, an Accenture, for example, is now the largest IT company in the world by employee size. Hmm. After IBM got rid of their managed services, Kindrel, they're now bigger than IBM. And they make a business acquisition every seven hours. So if you look backwards on their acquisitions, they're acquiring every day a digital agency, an accounting firm, and an MSP. And all the, the entire math at Accenture in their M&A department is they look at this heat map around the world of 35 million different cells by buyer, by industry, sub-industry, by geography, by sector, segment, and they look at it by product. And then underneath all of that is by business model. How do we as Accenture go and collect as much of that $5.80 out of HubSpot that we can? How do we go collect the $5.32 at Google Cloud? How do we go in that CRN article with Microsoft unlocking trillions of dollars? How do we go and grab that trillion dollars? Well, we need the skills, the marketing skills, digital agency skills, the accounting skills, the MSP skills. They're building out a pie chart of skills and practices that can ask the customer instead of for $1 for every dollar they spend, two, three, and even $4 hmm. will go to an Accenture who's rolling up all of this you know, last mile solutioning and they're going down market. So at IBM, I used to see them in the banks and, and governments and now Accenture are in mid-market and SMB deals. Why? Hmm. Because they acquired the agency or the MSP that already serves that market. Wow. That's the biggest competition to MSPs going forward. I would say anybody watching this is probably shocked by that statement. I would think they would have named 10 other things before they would have thought about that. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure that they thought that a company of that size would come. Like we always hear about, you know, the, the Dells trying to do managed services or the, you know, the hosting company trying to do managed services. But then like to have a company that's really been playing up here come down, I, I just don't think anyone expected them to get all the way downstream like you're talking. Yeah. And I, I remember, so I was at IBM when it turned in from a hardware company, Lou Gerstner changed it to be a services company. Mm -hmm. It took a couple of years to figure it out, but we figured it out that no one that sells hardware or software is good at selling services. It's a completely different skill set, and it's very hard to train for. So one of the things IBM did to counter that was they acquired PwC. Mm -hmm. Let's bring on people that understand this world. So every time you hear Dell or HP or Microsoft or Lenovo or somebody announce like some managed services offering, there's a collective eye roll because those people are the redheaded stepchildren in those companies. Mm -hmm. And those companies, when it actually gets to the end of the quarter, you know, they're focused on the hardware sales. They're focused on their core competency. And those end up being jettisoned in it. You know, Best Buy tried it, Office Depot tried it, Staples tried. I mean, so many different kinds of companies in different um, industries have tried this. And unless you're a services company, by the way, like an Accenture, mm -hmm. you're not going to get this. And the way that, you know, these GSIs are set up is kind of brilliant, but they're, almost set up like um, 
very flat organizations. There's no hierarchy to them. So when I come in George and, and acquire you as a digital agency in upstate New York, and you serve you know, mid-sized clinics with 50 doctors, you become the vice president of mid-sized clinics in upstate New York for Accenture. Okay. And I always make a joke that out of 450, 500,000 people, you know, 400,000 of them are vice presidents of something. Wow. And that's the way, you know, in their M&A world, I mentioned the 35 million opportunities. That's a real number. And they're on a charge right now. Like they could at some point, theoretically, it won't happen, but theoretically they could have 35 million vice presidents. And I could be a vice president for a buyer, you know, the head of marketing in a sub-industry, which is a 50 doctor clinic, which is different than a dentist office, different than a small hospital. In um, uh, geography, which is upstate New York, we'll call, you know, Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, Albany. It, a sector segment, you know, 50 doctors, puts it right in the M part of SMB. And then, you know, go out to the product levels. You know, we're serving a marketing buyer. So it's a MarTech stack and things like that. And then the operating model to go get that $5.80. You're now the vice president of that. You sit on the chamber of commerce in all those places. You do the roadshows, you host the podcast, you run the social groups. You are the super connector for all things mid-sized clinics. And you happen to be a vice president now of Accenture. Wow. That is a crazy, I mean, the fact, the whole organization being flat just boggles my mind, but well, that's what happens when you're really big, have been around for a long time and have a lot of money to spend. They're almost their own country. It sounds like, I mean, they're almost their own government. Um, so let's flip directions for a second back to how MSPs sell their services and how MSPs buy their services. Uh, distributions change dramatically. And quite frankly, the big guys have been bought like two or three times now, I feel like, um, you know, I, obviously the bigger part of distribution these days is SaaS, right? Subscription marketplaces, cloud marketplaces. Can MSPs succeed in a co-managed world, carving out those services and offering them that way? Or is that... Is that really not realistic for them? Yeah, so earlier this year, and quite controversially, I wrote a report asking, are distributors the future of distribution? Mm-hmm. And I put it in the chat window there, um, if people can see it, or we'll tag it after. But I kind of went through 10 of the current trends that are happening, given where we are in the pandemic and where we're going. And you know, I asked about subscription and consumption models. I asked about you know, the growth of marketplaces you know, growing more in three months last year than the last 10 years combined. Yeah. I asked a lot about these new style distributors like a Pax8 or SureWeb. You know, I looked at, you know, master agents and, and, and what they're doing. And the, the whole definition of an ecosystem, though, is that it's not linear. And we've gone for 40 years, we've sold where vendors have sold their stuff to distributors, distributors have sold the bars, VARs have sold to the customer, the money changes hands in a very you know, predictable way. And inside of all of that, there's a gross to net financially, the margins front and back that go to pay all those different steps, mm-hmm. help educate the partners, help incent them, help you know, pay for some of the distributors, bottom line profit. Everybody kind of works in this model and we all recognize it as the gold, silver, bronze program. Mm-hmm. Every vendor has one. There's 10,000 different gold, silver, bronze programs. You need a decoder ring to figure out, you know, how to make money on a Tuesday afternoon. But the fact of the matter is an ecosystem that all blows up. 
An ecosystem is not around revenue and profit and customer set. An ecosystem is around value creation. One plus one equals three. It's around co-innovation and it's around network effects. So those are three measurements that have now replaced this revenue, profit, customer set. And every company is starting to rethink in an ecosystem, there is nobody that hides. There's no supply chain. There is no lines of distribution. The customer looks at the seven things they're buying and looks at the $5.80 they have to spend to get it to work. Mm -hmm. And they want all the visibility out in the sky, in the celestial mode. There's stars and moons and galaxies. And over there, you got a Microsoft galaxy, a Google galaxy, an AWS one. You've got all kinds of galaxies of different sizes, all kinds of planets and comets. There's just so much going on. What a customer's trying to do is take it from 35 million permutations down to the seven things they need and the five partners they need to make it all work. Mm -hmm. And so in that world, distributors have to step out of hiding. There's a ton of work they do beyond you know, 3PL logistics, beyond what they do in distribution centers, beyond what they do in capital and credit facilities. By the way, in a subscription consumption model, there is no credit or capital. When your server becomes $9,000 a month forever and it hits a credit card, there is no floor financing. Yeah. There is no net 30, net 60, net 90 that they need to help VARs and MSPs with. This world becomes a subscription model like MSPs run their business in a recurring model. It's all operational. That evaporates. And then the final piece of it, when you actually look at the private equity purchases of tech data, uh, Ingram, this tech data Cynics coming together, there's a lot of public data available you know, before those acquisitions happened. And you know, for tech data in its you know, years up to this point, 80% of their profit, they're a Fortune 500 company, mm. Fortune 100 company, they're a massive company that 80% of their profit comes from vendors like you cutting them checks. Mm -hmm. So when I at Lenovo would cut them a million dollar check every quarter, and so would my friends at Dell and so would HP and so would Microsoft and all of us get together and we cut them these big checks. 90 something percent of that was profit margin and 80% of it dropped right to their bottom line. So these companies were driving 40 and $50 billion in revenue mm -hmm. at break even. And the only profit they were showing the street are these big marketing checks. You'll remember what happened a decade ago to magazines when everyone colluded at exactly the same time and stopped writing advertising checks. It all happened within a couple of months. Companies went from you know, tens of millions of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars overnight. And that is going to happen in distribution when all vendors come together at some point and start to ask about these million dollar taxation fees every quarter and try to make this delineation between community investments and distribution. So your access to VARs and MSPs, the 75,000 of them that sit underneath each distributor isn't linear anymore. They don't block you from them. Mm -hmm. Those VARs and MSPs are actually not even going to those distributors to learn. They're subscribing to this podcast. They're going to your channel strong events. They're coming to your social groups. You're driving the conversations that smart vendors will, can introduce themselves in a non-sales way, in a all boats rise, go-giver, you know, 
community type of model mm -hmm. and add value at the grassroots. And that is orders of magnitude cheaper than cutting a million dollar check. Wow. Especially when 80% of it went to just profit. The bank. Bottom line. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. It's very cheap to put your logo on a page. As, you know, if, there, if you get a webinar and a logo on a page and a brochure, all of that, you know, comes at pennies to the dollar. Yeah, not definitely not worth spending a million dollars for those three things for sure. Um, on the on the event marketing side, right? I mean, you're talking about distribution and that whole advertising thing potentially one day gone. Event marketing obviously disappeared for a while. It's now on its way back. Do you see that ever going away? I mean, there's still some value to the Dreamforce, the Microsoft Inspire, even the IT Nation or Datacon. Like, do you, is that is that going to ever change? And should the MSP consider adopting that as part of their marketing strategy as well? There's massive value. And it's not like, you know, part value or some value. It is a massive value. We've traced back, you know, 75,000 MSPs, and we've asked them about every one of their 10 big vendor relationships they own. Mm -hmm. And then we've dialed that back to the influence. Where did you first meet? How did you build that relationship? How did you form your opinion? Very influential stuff. And it, a big anchor to all of that was events. Hmm. And so, you know, we've done as much work as, you know, I, I mentioned I used to work at Autotask. Back when it had a couple hundred people in Albany and before it came together with Datto and, and before Datto became the first unicorn in, in uh, Connecticut. But during those early days of mapping out strategy, no one in the room had a vision that this would be worth $4.2 billion on the public <laughs> markets. But there are people in Wall Street that did. And they understand the, the economics behind it and stuff. But Datto or Autotask never had you know, a big direct sales organization. It was a partner-led company all the way. It never ran a Super Bowl ad. It never, you know, had a direct marketing department, you know, that would be big enough for its size. It was all community. And when I make the linkage for bigger companies like Microsoft, and I talk about a, a Rob Ray, and I, you know, the eight people that work with Rob and what he learned from Dan Wensley and, and how they executed this community model from when Austin used to sit with, Shannon behind a small little desk at ASCII group that they couldn't afford to a decade later, him being a billionaire and building out universities in upstate New York and um, this company worth over 4 billion. It was all a community strategy. And the question is you don't have to be a rich vendor to go do this. You have to start as an MSP, you start with your customer. Mm -hmm. What do they read? Where do they go? And who do they follow? All three questions can be answered digitally. And you can trace the magazines, the associations, the podcasts, the events, the vendor communities, the distributor communities, all the different thought leader groups and things that influence them along the way. You can double click in your region on every single one of those, write down every speaker. You know, I start writing down your name for all these different things and I score it. Hopefully and not zero. <laughs> the, mention, the reason I mentioned Rob is when I did it five years ago, it was a lot of work. It took hundreds of hours to do this because I wrote down 3,000 people's names. Wow. But then I gave, you know, if you're on the front cover of CRN, you know, I'll give you eight points. Big magazine. Good job. 
If you sit on the board of CompTIA, I'll give you eight points. World's largest IT association, you know, good job. If you keynote channel partners in Vegas in November, 6,500 agents are in the room, great job, eight points. If you do an ASCII group you know, in St. Louis or a Channel Pro SMB in Sacramento, you know, two points. But you keep earning points for all the things you're doing, all the podcasts, all the webinars. And what ends up happening is over the 3,000 people, everyone earns a score. Mm-hmm. And Rob ended up becoming number one when I sorted it from top to bottom. Of course. That was different than the Larry Walsh who came number one when I did it five years earlier. Uh-huh. And if I did it today, post-pandemic, which a lot of people have asked me to do, I just don't have hundreds of hours right now to dedicate, Rob would not be number one. There are people like you and others that hit a home run digitally during the pandemic and started to open up events, you know, in a way that was um, legal and in a way that was acceptable to everyone, regardless of where you sit on on the different issues. Mm-hmm. And it was just, a, I, I wrote a blog about it back at the time, and I thought it was brilliant. And so events in the future, the average MSP is invited to 150 different events wow. per year. And that's one every two days if you're, if you're counting. And the events now, MSPs are going to be much more selective. Mm-hmm. You're not just going for a free lunch and a you know, couple of beers. I mean, it, literally, you could go every couple of days if you want to. And there are MSPs out there that just like to travel around to events. Uh, they don't really do much MSP, you know, back in their, uh, in, in their community. So, but the fact of the matter is you're going to be selective and you might go to a key roadshow, like a channel strong. You may go to a big event in Vegas. Mm-hmm. could be DattoCon. You could go to Orlando, like IT nation. I mean, whatever it is, whatever big event with thousands of people where you're going to see 250 sponsors and have user group meetings and peer group meetings, but you may only travel twice a year. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you're going to be selective and you're going to do most of the event, I believe, physically. So you're going to want to build the relationships, hallway chats, hotel lobby bar conversations. A lot of the content where you would have sat in the room, I think you'll grab to your podcaster or grab video on the airplane home. It's going to be personal events. I like that. I mean, that would, by the way, that's the best part of the events that everybody wants, right? I mean, no offense to the breakout session and no offense to the main stage speaker, but I think you get more, I think you get more real day reaction and response from people who are in the trench like you, maybe doing it somewhere else saying, Hey, what did you try for this? Did it work? Did you have a problem? What was that first customer look like? And I think that that's where a lot of learning I mean, at least for me throughout the years, that's where a lot of my learning happened. I'll put all the formal stuff aside. Um, quick question that came in from Brent here on, uh, on the live session. He says, so back to your conversation about how distributors, 80% of the money they were getting from the backend vendor was just bank account money. Um, he says, so is this how the office superstore sell everything so cheap because they get this backend money that you don't even see? Is that, is that what happens there? That's the economy. So I had worked for Lenovo and IBM selling PCs for 17 years. And if you wonder how CDW gets these deals mm-hmm. and are they lost leaders or are they truly some backend shenanigans? In a lot of cases, they will approach, you know, Dell, HP, Acer, Asus, Lenovo and buy up an entire SKU. Wow. They'll work with the planners and say, 
how many of these are you planning on building? So you're going to, there's 900 raw materials that you're out you know, collecting to build these products in China. And you're arranging the, the containers right now of how many you're going to ship into the Americas. Tell me what that denominator is. We're like, well, we're going to sell, you know, 25,000 of this SKU. Perfect. We'll buy them. Wow. Every last SKU. So they have their own unique SKU. So there's no competition. For the office superstores, by the way, who have these best price guarantees, they never have to honor it because they're the only ones that own that SKU. Oh, it's all. And so they buy it by the container load. And a company like Lenovo, who's trying to make its numbers this quarter and you know, some of the executives who are trying not to get fired this quarter mm-hmm. are in and ready to make those negotiations with distributors, with the big CDWs and insights, malls and connections of the world. And they're ready to make these deals with this office superstores. Hmm. So that breaks almost every ethical and moral and legal precedent, but you can get around it. And it's just one of these things that this has been around since the start of time. And for every consumer-like product that can be sold off the shelf, you know, you've got these mass market and today you've got Mm amazon.com. And now you've got these third-party sellers, this long tail on Amazon. And you start to wonder how is their price cheaper at a retail level than my cost at distribution is. And there is no margins anymore in most of this consumer product almost every you know, product category. And it just, it's a highly complicated go-to-market strategy. And this starts to collapse under subscription and consumption. Interesting. Well, there you go, Brent. That, the answer is yes. It's <laughs> in a very complex way. The answer is yes. There's money behind the door that you're just not seeing. Um, it's, it's, you know, like everybody's tried their hand, Jay, at, you know, trying to step down into the SMB space. Nope. You know, listen, you had Office Depot as an example recently, right? They tried it, didn't work. I mean, Best Buy tried to take Geek Squad into the business arena, didn't really work. Like, so even the carriers, right? Comcast, Verizon, T-Mobile. Oh, hey, you know, we'll offer tech support. It never really seems to stick. Why why do they keep trying to reinvent Hmm. that? I don't understand. Well, they all read Forrester reports. And they all see this trillion dollar with a T opportunity in SMB. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a place like Office Depot, who, by the way, hired my wife. That's the reason I live in Florida to go figure out the director, senior director of tech services right after they acquired uh, CompuCom, mm-hmm. which is a bona fide, you know, big MSP, more of a reseller. Um, and, you know, they spent a billion dollars on that. Their CEO was my old here at Lenovo, Jerry Smith. And, uh, you know, to succeed, they were one of two companies a couple of years ago that were on the list to go bankrupt. Wow. It was them and Toys R Us. So Toys R Us beat them to the punch Mm -hmm. uh, because they're highly leveraged from the 80s. Office Depot had some money in the bank, so it didn't go bankrupt, but they're selling off their retail division, which they kind of said no to, but it will go to Staples. They're going to have to off sell CompuCom to make that work. And the government blocked it a couple of times, but now there's no monopoly, you know, problem with Staples and Office Depot coming together. But here's this idea that you sit in front of their business development executives and show them this trillion dollar number. Mm -hmm. 
and they get all excited with their tech services and their print services and all this stuff. And they're within five miles of 92% of Americans. They already serve small business. The flower shop and the daycare center next door already walk into Office Depot and buy paper clips and things. So they, they think they've got this roll up that they can do, which just never takes place. It's not something that you can consolidate at that level. And even these private equity companies that are rolling up MSPs by the dozens, mm -hmm. they're not rolling them up into some hierarchy. Guess what? Back to our early discussion, they start to look like Accenture. Flat. You get bought by a private equity. You're now the vice president of Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And as an owner principal, you've been freed up from some of your finance, operational, marketing, and selling that you know maybe you were never that good at to begin with. That's rolled up to headquarters where they can do it at scale. Mm -hmm. At scale, they could go buy a Super Bowl ad to support you. But now you get to go do what you love to do is fix customer problems, engage in customer outcomes. And you've got your you know, seven on average technicians and you can go back to doing what you do and let somebody else kind of manage the, the other stuff that's, that, that you're not a fan of. And that's just, it's an Accenture model and it's a flat organization. You probably report to somebody who reports to the head of the private equity company. Hmm. Wow. That's so they're not, they're not taking, I mean, so in the past they did try that though, Jay, right. You know, you had the, you know, uh, the all cover type model or the, you know, what's the other one that comes to mind that, that I'm missing, right. The original one, right. Where they took all these guys, they rolled them up and tried to go kind of, you know, mass knock mass, you know, kind of centralization, it, this is the reverse of that earlier model. It's like, hey, you're you're basically a franchise, right? Hey, yeah. this is your area. Go do your thing. We'll do all the back office work. Hit the ground running. Yeah, well, the knock and the sock and everything else is centralized. Because mm -hmm. obviously, the bigger you can do that in the more central, cost-effective way. You know, having eight people in Wichita, Kansas is very tough to run a knock or a sock. Agreed. So the more you can roll into headquarters... And the more execution, which is billable hours that you can run in the field, whether it's rolling trucks or, you know, executing against customers where you can bill to those customers, you're running a large national legal firm at that point. And you've got the head of private equity who's more of like the head lawyer who's focused on billable hours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the economic model here. It's not to move your automation skills up to New York and then move their skills in CRM or ERP over to California. They can advertise that skill on their website. They can darken the sky with planes if they need to, if the customer pays Accenture level money to them. But in the end, it's basically franchise level execution. And we've got obviously a couple of big franchises, you know, in the MSP world that, that work on that as well with, you know, some of the like running a McDonald's, you know, some of the headquarters work, you know, gives you the air cover, but it's up to you to execute within your five mile geofenced area and make yourself a millionaire. Huh. I never, I'll be honest with you. I, it, it's the first time we've used that analogy that the PEBC roll-up strategy is basically the franchise McDonald's model. I, I, yeah, to put that phrase to it now, I guess it makes a lot more sense. I just don't think people have visibility into what happened after the transaction. Yeah, and so, by the way, another part of it, go, go back to Paul Dipple again, the 25% that don't make money or the 25% that struggle, you know, that's 17% average, you know, margin, mm -hmm. um, gross margin at the end, makes it very difficult for an eight-person firm 
that isn't managing to the seventh decimal point, you know, to not only pay their mortgage, but to actually reinvest in the business. Mm-hmm. This is why we have, you know, 500,000 VARs and 75,000 MSPs, because it's a very difficult business to scale. Yeah. But when you roll up that 17 at a national level, it is very rich margin. Because most industries, by the way, are 10 or less. And even comp- like fast food, like McDonald's operate, you know, in those lower margin categories. So if I were to tell, you know, people that don't know the first thing about technology or IT management who want to buy a yacht, that they could roll up businesses and they could roll 17 right into headquarters and they could roll up some of the, you know, operational or automation and stuff at a headquarters level to serve these franchises. You know, they can run the Super Bowl ad that, that brings people in the door. Um, it's actually a pretty good model and it's working for many of these, uh, you know, large players. Good to know. Brent comes back with a follow-up question from earlier. He says, so business advice, should the MSP help the customer find the cheap device since they can't make money selling it on their own and find a way to profit elsewhere instead of trying to play the hardware game with the, with the retail box store? So my advice is this. Every major vendor now is coming out with what I call the multiplier. Mm-hmm. And we know that multiplier, which I mentioned the $5.80 at HubSpot. The first thing I would do as an MSP is look at my vendors that I have today in my stable and go and read if they've published it, but go and ask if they haven't, the multiplier. How much money in your product is there downstream? Implementation, installation, integration, security, compliance, whatever it is, there's 17 tech services that wrap around it. How rich is that business? What skills do I need? What repeatable practices do I need to build? What sales and marketing confidence do I need to go ask the customer for a dollar or $2 for every dollar you sell, George? That's a different question than saying, I can't live off 20%, I need 25 or you need to kick me more back end dollars. Mm-hmm. Instead of making 20% of the deal, I wanna make 200% of the deal. And like Accenture, I wanna go make that at 75% margin. So let's talk about the, cause I understand that over the next decade, more and more and more business is going to go marketplace. Yeah. I understand that you don't subscribe to Netflix through your cable guy in the white van. Mm-hmm. And I understand that with Netflix, that if I don't adopt Netflix and watch it, I'm going to cancel it the next time I see it on my credit card. Mm-hmm. I understand that if it doesn't become integrated and sticky in my habits, the retention or renewal is going to be low. I understand that I need people wrapped around that are going to upsell, cross-sell. Now Netflix is coming out with gaming, we learned yesterday. I need an environment of influencers out there that are enriching our contract over time. So your value to your vendor, your value to your customer is changing. And you should be asking your vendor about influence. If I get the customer to the dance and they acquire your product, I don't care how the money changes hands. But if I get them to the dance, I want to be recognized financially for that. And if you're not going to recognize me, I'm going to go talk to your competition to see if they are recognizing and attributing the great work I'm doing at the Chamber of Commerce and in my podcast and all the stuff I do up front. Then after the point of initial transaction, which is only 30 days with the customer, now I'm getting involved and doing all those downstream 17 things. And I'm earning that from the client, but I'm also earning recognition from the vendor when I drive this great lifetime value of the client. The customer journey never ends. And I'm in a 30 day recurring business and I'm gonna ensure that you keep that customer for life 
I want to be paid for that as well. So unless you trifurcate the way you view me as an MSP, I'm going to go keep asking other vendors if they recognize me more. And I want to know the billions or trillions or millions of dollars that you're unlocking for me and helping me build my business, skill up the education, the training, the competencies, the sales and marketing, the co-selling, co-marketing. Like I want all these programmatic things towards the point where I can go make $2 for every dollar you make. That's a whole different conversation than bronze, gold, silver. It's very different. A whole story. Because I understand that 20% margin, the 10% margin, if you're selling PCs, it's 3% margin. You know, that's just going to evaporate over time. It's just, we're in a new mode, product-led growth, subscription consumption, usage-based pricing, value-based pricing, and marketplaces. All six of those things are headwinds to resell. And again, we don't buy digital subscriptions physically. And when you buy seven things to solve a problem, like that CMO we talked about, there's 8,000 things on the MarTech stack and they're going to buy seven of them to solve the problem. Do you think that they want to procure and provision all seven of those things in different places? No. When they add a user, do you think they want to go to seven different things to get special pricing? And to, no, they want to click one button. I added a user and it's auto provisioned. And so when the CFO comes in, I got one place I'm spending my money. I'm earning enterprise credits. I'm getting bigger discounts the more I spend that way. So the world is accelerating due to the pandemic into these more digital movement. At the end of the decade, it'll turn into crypto and it'll turn into blockchain and other things. We're still 10 years from that. But you can understand that I'm not going through a digital journey and turning physical at the point of purchase. I'm staying digital. And in the movement of money, I'm not turning physical either. I'm going to stay digital. And in that long-term relationship with the MSP and all the value I get forever, I'm also staying digital. My entire life, end-to-end, -end, especially in four to five years when the majority of your customers are going to become millennial, mm -hmm. the entire lifespan of your customer will be digital. That's a, that's a completely different view of the world, universe, galaxy, whatever you want to call it, than probably the majority of the people out there are doing business today. So at least in our sandbox. So I hope everybody took some notes. By the way, whole session was recorded. I highly suggest you go back to mspinitiative.com under sessions. Rewatch this, pause it, take notes. Jay gave you some really great tidbits on things that as you're planning your business journey, here's what you need to be doing in order to make sure that you're ahead of the game and you're not the last person uh, to, the, to the story. So Jay, I really appreciate your time. We're, we're, we're at the hour. I know you're a busy guy. I know everybody here watching as I'm sure busy as well. Um, I really appreciate you for coming on. I'm sure everybody who's going to watch this is probably going to say, Hey, I got a question. Where can, the, can they shoot you a message on a LinkedIn or what's your preferred method of communication? Yeah, I'm all over the place. So if you want LinkedIn, if you want Twitter, if you want to find me on one of the Slack channels, uh, my email is the letter J McBain at Forrester.com. Um, like everybody, we're all tracking, you know, 64 different ways to get a hold of us. So it won't be hard if you just do a search on my name. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, everyone. Please go back and rewatch this. Send Jay your questions or comments or maybe a, a thank you because I'm sure there's more coming down the, the, the pipe and catch all of Jay's stuff. He pushes it out pretty regularly. So as he comes up with new aggregation of all this data, he puts out new reports and we all learn from those. So thank you very much, everyone. Catch you guys on Tuesdays and Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time here on the MSP Initiative Live. Take it easy, guys.